sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. There are times while a mother is breastfeeding where she may question if she is making enough milk for her baby. Sometimes a mom may truly have a low milk supply and other times something may have changed that throws her for a loop. Today I'm excited to welcome back to the show Elizabeth Myler. Elizabeth is an RN and International Board Certified Lactation Consultant with Mahala Lactation and Perinatal Services in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Today we are talking about whether a mom has a low milk supply or not. This is The Boob Group, Episode 106. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk, what's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva, don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk, never had to pump. Breast milk, all udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the boob group, because mothers know breast. Welcome to The Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. The Boob Group is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for all things related to breastfeeding. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also an international board-certified lactation consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Today, we have two lovely panelists in the studio. Ladies, will you please introduce yourselves? My name is Melissa Lang Lytle. I'm 43 years old. I'm a birth doula and birth choices advocate. I have three children. Benjamin, five, Joseph, three, and Milo, three months. And Milo is in the studio today. (laughs) Oh, hi, Milo. Hi, Melissa. Hi. (laughs) All right, and Tess, would you like to introduce yourself? My name's Tess De La Garma. I am 35 this month. Uh, I work for National University, and I have one son, and he is nine months old. All right, welcome to the show. Thank you. And MJ, will you please introduce yourself as our awesome producer, as well as talk a little bit about our uh, virtual panelist program. Oh, well, thank you for that intro. Um, So I'm MJ. Um, I have a son who's almost going to be three um, in June. And uh, besides taking care of him, because I am a stay-at-home mom, I get to do this wonderful job. And one of my job um, descriptions is the virtual panelist program. So it's really just a way to get um, you out there online to join our conversation in here in studio if you can't be a part of the show uh, or if you can't be in the studio with us because we post the same questions that our in-studio panelists are answering so you can share your experiences, um, give your opinions or tips. Um, 
a lot of the moms are just engaging and supporting each other because there's lots of questions besides just um, giving uh, their answers or opinions and comments. And um, it's kind of a sneak preview of our show before it releases because we'll post tips and info as we record. And um, everybody's just supporting each other, so it's really great. Um, you can check out more about this program on at our website, theboobgroup.com, under the Community tab. And there's... Uh, perks for participation all right thanks mj yes <coughs> sounds familiar if your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash then you need to give dr mom butt balm a try it was created by a mom who's also a doctor when my kids were little i remember using this thick goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin uh it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. So here is a question from one of our listeners. This is from Miranda. She wrote, help, my twin girls weaned themselves about three weeks ago. I have had painful period-like cramping ever since, but no period. It's getting super annoying being in pain all the time. Is this normal? Did anyone else experience this cramping post-weaning, and how long did it last? My name is Ashley Treadwell. I am an international board-certified lactation consultant in San Diego, California. I work as a private lactation consultant for the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Hi, Miranda. Thank you so much for your question. Um, short answer is it's totally normal to experience what, you're, uh, what you are currently experiencing after weaning your baby. Um, chances are uh, your body is starting to um, ovulate and the cramping that you're feeling could be related to that. While we're breastfeeding, um, the estrogen hormone is lower. Um, and so when you stop breastfeeding, your estrogen levels increase, which can cause menstrual-like symptoms. Um, could take, as you've mentioned, a few weeks to actually see a cycle, sometimes a little bit longer. Um, could be ovulation, could be the increase in estrogen, but I would expect that you'll probably see your cycle in the next month or so. Thanks so much for the question and I wish you good luck. Today on The Boob Group, we are discussing signs for whether a mom may or may not have a low milk supply. Our expert, Elizabeth Myler, is an RN and International Board Certified Lactation Consultant with Mahala Lactation and Perinatal Services in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Welcome back to the show, Beth. Oh, thanks so much, Robin. It's great to be with you guys. Awesome. So, Beth, what is the average weight gain we are looking for in a baby during that first year of life, and how does that change month to month based on baby's age? Well, there's a couple of different ways that we can look at that. I think everybody needs to keep in mind some basic ben benchmarks. So we're going to expect the average breastfeeding baby to double their birth weight by about five to six months. Um, by a year, they're going to be about two and a half times their birth weight. Um, but other indicators are important too. Their length is going to increase by 50% and their head's going to grow by about 33%. Um, when we break it down into the the three-month kind of marks, 
we're looking for that those first three months being like our highest growth rate. So baby's going to gain about eight ounces a week. Sometimes we say about an ounce a day. Um, and boys gain slightly faster than girls in most cases. Um, and as we move to the three to six month period, we should all be aware that that rate of growth for breastfed babies slows. And that's going to be an average of about five ounces per week. And then from the six to 12 months, we're looking at a gain of about two to four ounces a week. So significant changes during that first year for the breastfed baby. Okay. And that helps. So that way we all don't end up with 35 pound one year olds. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Can you imagine if we continued the rate of growth of the zero to three months? Yeah. We'd, we'd all be, we'd be adult size. <laughs> and um, so with this weight, you know, gain as well as height and, and head circumference, how much milk does an average baby consume in that 24-hour period to maintain this? And how does that change month to month based on baby's age? So, of course, the biggest change is going to be between the period of time before a mother's milk transitions to, or what we say, you know, the milk has come in so that her, her mature milk um, is, is fully in. So if we say that on average, that's going to be about day four, um, moms at that point in time are usually making about 19 ounces a day. Now, I mean, this is, you know, again, these are all averages. And we should remember that the 50th percentile, you know, when we, especially when we talk about babies' weights, you know, is, is the average. So some healthy babies are going to be a little above and a little below. And when we talk about average milk productions for moms, we should realize that some moms are going to be above and some moms are going to be uh, below. And that, that usually we, we end up okay for the most, for the most part. Um, but so between day four and day seven, by day seven, the average mom is up to about 21 ounces total uh, in 24 hours, and she continues to increase until she usually maxes out by about week five. Um, And that's going to be anywhere between, and this is crazy, this is a big differential here, but between 25 and 35 ounces um, a day. And, um, you know, I like to use the 30 ounce uh, benchmark because it's just right in the middle between 25 and 35. Um, As far as babies taking that Taking the amount of milk that mom's making, um, intake by baby after day four, it's going to be about, you know, so when we're talking about the first week, it's going to be about one and a half to two ounces per feed in general. Um, and after about that, that first month and until solids are introduced, we're going to say the average feeding is around three ounces, but the range is anywhere from two and a half to five, five and a half per feeding. Okay. And that also depends on how the frequency of the feeds as well. Babies who are feeding more frequently would eat less. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great time to bring that up because there's so many different things that drive um, how much milk the baby gets and, um, again, how much mom milk a mom is going to make day to day and week to week. Okay. And so when we're looking at low supply, what, what are common causes for a mom to have a lower supply than what you just talked about as being the average? So, again, it really depends at what stage of lactation that we're talking about. I think it may be helpful to think about um, milk supply is having three sort of broad causes. Um, but the first and the most common and the biggest 
overarching um, one is ineffective and insufficient milk removal at the breast, uh, milk removal and, and breast stimulation, I'm sorry, in the early days postpartum. So this is, this is really, really big, and there can be many, many reasons why there's ineffective and insufficient milk removal or breast stimulation. Um, but we, we know that maybe one in three moms are going to experience a delay in their mature milk coming in in the United States. So lots of reasons why this can happen. Um, and a lot of it has to do with our common accepted birth practices um, and, and sort of mismanagement of early breastfeeding. Um, so if, if the, there's a delay in her milk coming in in the beginning, um, this, this may be predictive of her long-term outcomes if we don't play catch-up and make sure that we have really, really good breast stimulation and milk removal um, once her milk does come in. Okay. So if that makes sense, that the, the two are not the same, but, but they are connected. Um, there's a researcher named uh, Pamela Hill who's done a lot of great work about this. And a lot of her work is with NICU moms, but she actually did... Um, determine that the amount of milk that a mom makes on day four um, is highly correlated by how much milk she's going to end up making at two weeks um, and then again at four weeks. So what we do in those early days is really, really crucial. Okay. Um, so that's our first bullet point. So um, then the next thing that we need to think about are the other mother-driven reasons. So I'm talking about hormonal causes for low milk production. That could be anything from retained placenta to um, ovarian tumors to insulin resistance, hypertension, thyroid disorders, metabolic disorders, um, luteal phase defects, um, prolactin resistance, um, things like that. So the hormonal aspect um, on the mother's side. And then we could have... Um, breast tissue or structure causes of low milk supply. So that would be our mothers who have a history of breast surgery, whether it's reduction or augmentation surgery or chest surgery at any time in their life. Um, and then also our mothers who have insufficient glandular tissue. So that would be a breast tissue structure. Um, and then we have a low milk supply that's baby-driven possibility. And that, um, you know, can be related to the oral anatomy of the baby, like tongue tie and lip tie. Um, the baby could also have a suck, swallow, breathe uh, discoordination. There's several genetic disorders um, where the baby just really can't remove the milk um, well. Cardiorespiratory disorders, neuromuscular disorders, um, certainly prematurity can be something. So the baby-driven end. Um, other causes for baby-driven side um, later can be that baby's sleeping longer stretches at night. And again, milk just isn't being removed for mom. Um, mom's period can return or she could be on medications um, that are reducing her supply. Okay. All right. Thank you, Beth. That was an incredibly extensive list, but super helpful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I don't think you left anything out. So that's really, really helpful. Um, all right. So I'd love to open it up to our panelists now to kind of talk about low milk supply or maybe perceived low milk supply as well. So ladies, um, have you felt like your m milk supply was ever low and were you ever concerned? Um, Tess? Um, I was a little bit concerned when my baby was uh, four months. I had returned to work and my girlfriend suggested that I actually get my pump checked out. And I was pumping about 10 ounces a day and it was going 
down to about eight. And I went to Mary Birch, Birch Hospital and they checked my pump and they said that the pressure versus the suction wasn't working to its full capacity. So they actually fixed it. I had a little part that I was able to replace for about $5 and I was <laughs> pumping 15 ounces a day. Wow. So at work. So that was, I could, you could probably, you know, check your pump if, if you're a working mom or if you're pumping during the day. Just make sure that that, pump is working to its full capacity and and then I also um, decided to pump one boob the other boob then I would go back to the other one and the other one and that's what really um, yeah made me get some more milk okay that is such a such a great point I love that you said that because I mentioned all these really complicated reasons (laughs) and you just hit on this very simple thing and it's the first thing that I always tell moms who are pump dependent check out your pump, check out your parts, make sure everything's functioning well, because it's so, so important. Absolutely. Melissa, how about you? I had two times that I can think of with my firstborn. It's a little easier with the second and third, just because you kind of get in your groove faster, so you identify issues quickly as well. But with my firstborn, I know that my babies are long and lean, and I was a little nervous at first based on weight, but it looked like more of a genetic issue, so it didn't turn out to really be low supply. And the second was when um, my menstrual cycle came back around nine months postpartum. It just takes a dip a little bit when that started, and I was concerned that I was losing milk, but then it came right back. So then then I got my a new rhythm yeah. uh, on a monthly basis. So it didn't turn out to be low supply. Okay, and we'll definitely be talking about um, the return of menstrual cycle as well, because that's something that I think really can trip moms up a little bit, um, which, as you mentioned, it's just a, a matter of getting a new rhythm. Right. right. And growth spurts, too. But yeah. I didn't want to name, like, you know, all of what <laughs> Beth named. No, so. no. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Beth, you, well, the first thing that you mentioned um, when talking about low milk supply was that sometimes it's just the the birth and getting that kind of delayed lactogenesis the delay of that fuller milk coming in so when a mom when a baby needs supplementation in the early weeks does that always indicate that a mom has a low supply no not at all not at all so again we've got to determine if the milk supply is down regulated what why is it you know down regulated i mean that's really the first step to, to trying to figure these things out so the baby-driven problems um, might require supplementation, not because mom doesn't have milk, but because the baby can't effectively access the milk that she has. Um, sometimes baby is actually expending more calories to get the milk than they should. And that's a tricky one to try and figure out what's going on. Um, but again, you know, we, we need to look at, at trends for this individual baby and how, how much time they're spending at rest and milk transfer and all these complicated things that, that we can do, um, with when you're, when you're working with an IBCLC, but the overall, answer to you is 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 no not at all okay and I often hear mothers um, either in my support group or I see them posting on Facebook for example that the concern that their milk supply has dropped because their breasts no longer feel full like that that engorge that initial engorgement stage is gone and now their breasts feel a little bit more you know they're not as full and so they're concerned about their supply is this an indicator no absolutely it is not um there is actually one study though that did show that mom's perception of sort of feelings of fullness in her breast um or that 
that initial milk increase is really quite re- reliable in that most moms can tell when their milk has transitioned initially. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. But um, those feelings of fullness or that typical initial feeling of fullness um, goes away after the first few weeks, even though milk supply stays the same or it may even still be increasing. Um, you know, our, our milk production, it's not, it's not static. It doesn't stay the same. It varies hour to hour and it varies day to day, um, month to month. So, um, you know, some of the things that, that contribute to this are the degree of breast emptying that the mom, um, that the mom has, uh, when a baby breastfeeds or when she pumps. Um, and then also her milk storage capacity, which is not the same as the size of her breasts, but it really has to do with the amount of milk-making tissue inside her breasts. Um, and that varies mom to mom. So, um, you know, a mom with, you know, less milk storage capacity, she may start to feel full a lot sooner than the other mom. And, you know, the amount of milk that's, that's in there um, could be identical, so... On average, babies only remove like two-thirds of the milk that is in the breast. Um, and so this is why when we're trying to increase milk supply, you know, in, in true cases of, of needing more milk or lower supply, when, when we try to remove that extra one-third that's left behind, we can almost always help a mom increase her production, you know, within 72 hours. So... That's kind of nature's protective mechanism in most cases. And also one of the reasons why if moms feel like baby just fed an hour before, but then they put the baby back on again, they actually do have milk. It's not like you're ever fully drained, although sometimes we definitely feel that. Exactly. All right. Fantastic. Well, when we come back, we will continue our discussion about signs that a mom may or may not have a low milk supply. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the show. We're talking with Elizabeth Myler about milk supply. And so, Beth, how does a mom's milk supply change throughout the day? We've kind of alluded to this a little bit throughout the discussion already. And why do moms often feel like their supply is low during evenings and like late afternoons and evenings? Well, because moms are really smart. Typically, milk production does go down in the afternoon um, and the evenings, not for all moms, but for a lot of moms. Um, so although our milk volume may be lower than, we have to remember that the fat content and the calorie content, um, or the calorie count of that milk is going to change throughout the day as well. So the emptier the breast, actually the higher the fat content of the milk. So sometimes, you know, these, even though baby may be getting smaller volumes, um, the overall calorie intake is going to be the same, um. And so that's important to remember. And fat content of milk is something that varies, you know, mother to mother, um, as well as just hour to hour during the day. Um, but yeah, but in general, their moms are right. You know, our our milk supply does get to its its lowest points in in the afternoons and early evenings. Okay, ladies, have you ever felt like your supply was lower in the afternoons and evenings? And what did you do during this time if you were feeling like it had taken a little bit of a dip? Melissa, how about you? I do feel that it's lower in the afternoon and the evenings, and then especially when there's a growth spurt or, like, cluster feedings. Mm-hmm. And I would swear by baby wearing because 
if you in fact have things you must do outside of sitting in your chair and just nursing all day or all night, um, it's really saved me. So that's kind of how I've worked through some of those, what feels like lower supply or maybe the, maybe the baby wants to be at the breast, what feels like longer because they're really working at getting, getting the milk. Baby wearing has saved me. Okay, cool. How about you, Tess? Um, I did feel that, especially going back to work. So I would um, pump before I would leave. So I probably would feel that the boob wasn't full enough when I got home to feed. So then what I've done is Mm -hmm. I've made the last pump earlier, um, about 2, 3 o'clock rather than 4, 5 when I'm about to leave. So then that way when I do get home at about 5.30 and if I feed about 6 o'clock, I've got really full boobs ready for a good feed so i i think that's helped me a little bit nice and how has your how has your baby reacted during this time have you noticed been more appreciative Um, (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) and he sees me and it's exciting because i lift up my top and he's like (laughs) hands out his hands yeah there it is awesome (laughs) very cool um, Beth, if a baby seems a little grumpy while breastfeeding and is popping on and off of the breast, kind of like uh, little Nylils is doing right here, can this indicate a low milk supply? <laughs> uh, sometimes it can, but I think it's really important to know that, you know, that babies respond to decrease to true low milk supply in lots of different ways. I mean, some of them actually will just shut down and go to sleep. Um, other babies of mothers who have true low supply seem kind of content to just accept a less than adequate milk intake. So, you know, coming on and off the breast can, you know, have lots of different reasons. Teething, um, you know, it actually can can be an indication of an overactive or really strong milk letdown, which may be related to oversupply. Um, and, you know, we a baby could just have, you know, just there, there could be a latching, you know, um, latching difficulties, you know, like some of the, you know, some of the things that we talked about before, tongue tie um, or, or hypotonia or something like that. But we, we can't rely just on a baby's behavior as an indicator in any way of maternal supply. It's sure. just not accurate, you know, especially the older baby. I mean, this is a relationship and they're sort of talking to you as they're coming on and off in many cases. Absolutely. And I would say for, for in our studio as well, I think he was done. <laughs> he was like, I need to burp and I think I'm full. And now he's smiling. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And kind of alluding to what Melissa was mentioning, like a growth spurt. What if baby starts to eat much more frequently, like going from every three hours to every hour to hour and a half? Um, not necessarily a low milk supply, right? It could be just a growth spurt. It could totally be a growth spurt. I mean, I think it's really important to put the cultural um, feeding norms um, out there. So when, when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa, um, I learned that mothers nursed um, according to their baby's cues, like for a couple of minutes, up to 20 times a day. I mean, they were just constantly feeding their babies small amounts of milk. So in, in our country, um, so, you know, when I'm asking my clients to do 10 to 12, I'm really like kind of cutting them some slack. I'm like, hey, listen, yeah, I'm not telling you to do it 20 times a day. Um, but, but really, I think that in the U.S., you know, our cultural norms are, are sort of more based on the, the bottle feeding um, and, and the formula feeding uh, model. So we're expecting our babies to eat larger volumes and to space their feedings out. Um, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say that there are other ways of feeding a baby that fully meet their needs that don't have anything to do with, you know, 
um, these these more rigid clock-based um, norms. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, I mean, even, you know, even though growth spurts, you know, I, we never even noticed growth spurts in Africa is what I'm saying because yeah. babies just had total access all the time yep. um, for short little births. Yeah. Very good point. Um, and then something that Tess had mentioned. So going back to work. So if a mom, what if a mom is pumping at work? What is, what is the average amount of expressed milk that she should leave per hour when she's gone from her baby? And how does this differ um, depending on the age of the baby? So Tess was really spot on when she said she started at about 10 ounces daily. So if it, it really depends how long you're going to be separated from the baby, of course, how much milk um, you, you need to have. Um, prepared for the baby each day, but somewhere between 10 and 15 ounces daily um, is going to cover a, a mom who works anywhere from six to 12 hours, um, or that's the period of time that she's away from the baby. Um, so, you know, if a mom went back to work um, before her baby was six weeks old, then we may be talking about needing less. But after six weeks, you know, she's going to be needing you know, about three to five ounces per feed. Um, and it really just depends how frequently this baby is going to feed when they're apart. But but for most moms, you know, 15 ounces total for a full work day um, is about what she needs to feel comfortable. Does that, did that make sense? Yeah. Test, was that about what you figured yes. out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then with what Tess had mentioned, the pumping output was decreasing while she was at work. And so... And with Tessa's case, it had nothing to do with her milk supply decreasing. It was Absolutely. actually, it was, it was the pump was failing you. Um, do you find that this is most often the case? Um, yes. I mean, that's why I said it is the most important thing to check the pump parts. You know, sometimes, you know, it, it the, it's, um, there's been a change in breastfeeding rhythm, um, or again, we talked about if, if a mom gets her period back, often she'll see that dip happen right before bleeding starts and then into the first couple of days of, of menstruation. Um, really in acute stress, any changes in, you know, big changes in, in sleeping, um, these things can have, you know, minor and temporary effects in a mom's milk supply that we can almost always remedy with some of the things that, that that both Melissa and, and Tess talked about, you know, chiefly nursing a lot more when we are together with our babies. Um, babies, you know, who bed share and, and share time with their moms at night can often get a third or more of their cal caloric intake during the night. Um, so that's, and then we know that night nursing can help boost overall supply um, throughout the day. So um, lots of these things are really modifiable and, and temporary. And that's, I guess, the, the really the big point. Um, and babies obtain the calories they need in a 24-hour period. So we shouldn't be panicked if all of a sudden our pumping output at work is down a little bit. Um, because, you know, when mom and baby are together, um, most babies can, can make up for any decreases. Okay. Um, so Tess, you've kind of already shared your story about fixing the, the remedying the pump situation. Um, Melissa, do you pump at all? Or are you mostly just straight from the tap type of mom? <laughs> mostly, mostly straight from the tap. In fact, it's kind of funny because my parents are in town right now. My dad said, is it against your beliefs to pump? And I'm like, no, not at all. I just, I really haven't needed to. I, yeah. you know, I, I'm, he's, my babies that nurse are with me all the time. So if I could find a way to 
to take them with me to birth, that would be amazing. But so far, you know, I'm just kind of working for the most part from home or out of my home. Okay, so pumping is not necessarily something right. that you have to incorporate. Okay, um, Beth, what what are some key indicators that a mom actually does have a low milk supply, or that her supply has in fact decreased? So maybe it's not able to be remedied by fixing pump pieces or increasing frequency that baby's feeding. Um, What are these signs that a mom should be looking for? Well, this is where, you know, it really, really helps to work with a skilled um, helping person um, because we want to have somebody who can really evaluate, you know, the difference between, you know, primary low milk supply and and secondary low milk supply. So um, we want to know, did the mom's breasts grow? Um, Did she have what we call positive breast changes during pregnancy? This is the norm. So we would expect her breasts to grow a little bit. Some moms are going to experience, you know, tenderness in the first trimester. Did her areola get darker? Some moms will even notice a little bit of leaking of colostrum. These are all really good, good, positive signs um, that, that, you know, um, for her to look for. And so if these things didn't occur, these, these can be indicators for us that, that she may truly have um, that some of those, those breast tissue um, structural uh, problems um, that, that can be indicators of low supply. Um, if her breasts don't ever get heavier or fuller, um, by, you know, even with a really awful, horrendous start and bad birth, typically milk will come in by day seven, day five to seven. And if that doesn't happen, um, really, you know, she never notices a change in, um, that feeling of fullness that we talked about. Um, that, that could be a sign. Um, if, if the baby, um, is, really continues to need supplementation um, in order to gain weight. So she tries stopping supplementation um, and, you know, baby stops gaining. Um, again, there could be other reasons, but this, this, could, this could definitely be, be a sign, especially if she's not able to, she's not doing this, she's not supplementing with her own milk. Um, but really inadequate weight gain at any point in the first year um, could could be a sign that her supply has, has decreased at some point. Um, we can do test weights, you know, if she's working with an IBCLC. So we can see how does, how does the baby transfer um, during what we hope to be a typical feed. You know, one test weight is not going to be enough to show us. Um, if, if this mom truly has a low milk supply, um, but multiple test weights, um, can, can often give us good, good information about, about a mother's supply. Um, and when we're looking for good milk transfer, you know, most baby mother dyads, um, who are doing well, that baby should get about two and a half ounces in less than 15 minutes once full milk supply comes in. And if the baby, and this is you know, less than 15 minutes of good, active suckling, um, swallowing. So if that doesn't happen, we may be, we may be looking at what else may be going on. Um, but, you know, fussiness at the breast is, is unlikely to be uh, a strong key indicator for okay. us. And, um, and I, I like that you brought up that the test weights not to just do one, because I think sometimes, you know, one of the things that moms will do is they'll go to support groups once a week and it's hard to see you know if that was actually a good feeding I had a mom that I was working with whose baby always took about one ounce one and a half ounces maybe two and then we she rented a scale and we did test weights overnight and the baby took in like 
five ounces to seven ounces during a couple feedings in the middle of the night and just snacked the whole rest of the day. But she was so concerned because every time she went to support group, he was taking so little. And then we realized, right. and, but again, we were looking at the whole picture as well. But, um, but that was of really course. illuminating to her. And it also helped her to not um, do any type of sleep training as well because she realized that he tanked up so much overnight that he really actually did need to feed in the middle of the night, which I think was um, a right. really important aspect for her to see of that whole right. process as well. And that's why I, I really love to tell moms all the time that, you know, your baby is going to obtain the calories they need in a 24-hour period, um, not in, you know, one one snapshot. We cannot multiply that, you know, by eight feedings um, and, and get a good indicator. Some moms who are really concerned will do just what you recommended. You know, they will rent a scale for a full 24 hours and do, you know, multiple test weights, um, at least at, you know, twice in the morning, maybe twice in the afternoon, twice at night. And that'll give us a much better, much better idea. All right. Well, thank you so much, Beth, and to our panelists uh, for joining in this conversation about signs for whether a mom has a low milk supply or not. It was so great to have you on the show again, Beth. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Robin. Good luck to you, mom. (laughs) Thank you. And for our Boob Group Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of the show as we will discuss how babies' nursing distractibility and how it affects milk supply. So for more information about our Boob Group Club, please visit our website at theboobgroup.com. Hey there, Boob Group. My name is Denise Altman, and I am a private practice IBCLC, otherwise known as a registered lactation consultant. Private practice means I have my own business, and I specialize in prenatal education and breastfeeding support. This session is about prenatal prep to breastfeeding something I definitely have an opinion about. One thing you as the expectant mama and her partner should be considering is where are your resources, in the hospital or birth center or out? Your professional resources are your lactation consultant or breastfeeding specialist, typically beginning in the hospital or, as I said, birth center. In many cases, most hospitals or birth facilities don't have an excess of breastfeeding support staff. So to best utilize your lactation consultant, when she comes to visit you, ask her to watch a full feeding. If the baby is already nursing when she walks in the door, remove the baby from the breast and ask her to watch you latch and observe the full feeding. Your staff nurse and caregivers that are at your bedside for at least a full shift are also an excellent resource while you're immediately postpartum. Staff nurses are often trained and expected to assist with feeding, and while they may not have the same level of knowledge as a lactation consultant, most of them are very willing and able to help you at least get through the basics. After discharge, it's helpful to know what your resources are in the community. While you're pregnant, contact your local Leche League or Peer Counselor Support Network, WIC if you are WIC eligible, but also find out where your outpatient resources are. Sometimes a hospital offers outpatient breastfeeding support services, sometimes a support group, and most communities have a private practice lactation consultant like myself. Private practice LCs often do home visits, which is very convenient if you've had a C-section um, or a difficult birth, or if the baby has to be on Billy Light, so you're spending a lot of time back and forth to the peace office. 
And let's not discount the pediatrician's office. Many now are hiring lactation consultants to function as staff members. So when you're choosing your pediatrician, this is something to ask about as well. I hope that the information in this session can get you started on exploring your options. For additional tips on choosing a breastfeeding class, please visit my website, FeedYourBaby.com, and keep listening to The Poop Grip. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, parent savers for moms and dads with newborns, infants, and toddlers, and Twin Talks, our show for parents of multiples. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group, your judgment-free breastfeeding resource. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care, and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.